Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. You know, it is God's desire to give you his promises. You know that, right? He's not a God that withholds. He's not a God that holds back. He's not a God that uh, is, is dangling a carrot out in front of you and hoping you'll get up enough courage to come and get it. He is a God that can't wait to bestow on his children, on his people, his promises, his blessings, his privileges in the kingdom of God. In fact, it only makes him look good when we're walking in. It's, it's to God's benefit that we live blessed. I said it's to God's benefit that we live blessed. It brings glory to him. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It's not by anything we've done. It's not by our accomplishments. But thank God, by his grace and by his mercy through our faith, right? There's a, there's a participation that we have in possessing the promises of God. But it's not because of us. It's because of God. And so he wants us to inhabit uh, and, and dwell in the, the place that he has called us to. He wants us to possess the promises. And so we saw that the Israelites in the wilderness, they lacked the participation, right? They waited on God to bring water out of the rock. They waited on God to, to put manna on the ground. They waited on God uh, to, to do all these things for them, things that we call miracles, that we love to see miracles. But I'm going to tell you today, you don't want to live from miracle to miracle. God said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have you live from miracle to miracle. I'm going to have you live by faith to faith and grace to grace. I'm thankful that he moves in my life, uh, even when I'm complaining, even when I'm uh, 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 almost oppositional to what God is trying to do. But there comes a time where we have to uh, be able to take the responsibility that he's placed on us as his people. It's called maturing, right? Maturation is not by age, it's by responsibility. You don't determine maturity by age because I know some grown folk, right, that aren't too mature. Why? Because they can't handle responsibility. I've seen some 16-year-olds with more responsibility than some 35-year-olds. It's the responsibility that determines if you can handle something. That's why the, the prodigal son wasn't a, a, a story about so much uh, someone that, that didn't deserve. He, he deserved uh, his father's inheritance, sure, but he just wasn't responsible. He wasn't mature enough. So what did he do? He went and blew it. He went and wasted it. So we're recognizing that, that the responsibility in the wilderness is what develops us to be able to handle the responsibility in the promised land. So if we're going to be irresponsible in the wilderness, we'll never make it to the promised land. There, there are seasons in our lives where, again, God is not withholding, but he is determining. He's not trying to withhold a miracle from us, but he is determining. Can you not just obtain something like you can obtain water out of a rock and you can obtain manna on the ground and you can obtain uh, financial wealth and you can obtain a, a, a good godly marriage. But can you maintain what you obtain? They're, they're, the, 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 the identity of a responsible person, of a mature person is not in obtaining something, but it's in maintaining it. 
I can obtain an inheritance from my father, but I can go blow it the very next day. And you'll find that when you learn how to maintain what you obtain, you can be given little and make much out of it. It doesn't take much to determine the maturity level and the responsibility level that that God wants us to grow into. That's why he said the kingdom of God is like a big, huge oak tree that just overshadows its whole. No, he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the least of its kind. But if you know how to take care of a seed, then you'll learn how to take care of a tree. This is what we're discovering. And so even when we're in the wilderness, even when we're in a land that might be destitute, see what you do when there's barely anything there is an indicator of what you do when you've got plenty. But see, we want to skip right from slavery straight onto the promised land where we've got plenty, we've got wealth overflowing, and we're conquering our enemies. But the wilderness is there to determine can you maintain the promise. You can obtain it, but can you maintain it? So when God's delivering us, when God is setting us free, there, there is a season of preparation to get to the next level that God wants us to be. We can come out of Egypt, but can God get Egypt out of us? We can, we can come out of slavery, but if we keep a slavery mindset, we'll remain a slave even in a free land. The bars have been removed. The taskmasters have been taken away. The, the whips and the, and the decrees have been, have been removed, but yet we're not walking in any more freedom than we were in the previous season because we didn't change what was on the inside. And God can change all kinds of stuff. I'm telling you right now, miracles don't set people free. They just don't. They, they show the mighty hand of God. They show what he's capable of and thank God for miracles, but they do not set people free. Being set free, please do not confuse being set free on the outside as being set free on the inside. Uh, one individual in our church just uh, had made a post on Facebook just recently about something that had happened with her family and how some individuals in public were treating her family at a restaurant. And... I told her, I said, what's sad is the deformity that is in their heart is worse than the deformity that you can see with your eyes. And we, we think because no one can see our deformity that it's okay. But there's one that sees all. There's one that sees what's on the inside and a deformed heart is worse than a deformed hand. We talked about that, I believe, last week. With the Pharisees and the man with the withered hand. I would rather have a withered hand than a withered heart. Because my withered heart determines what really comes out of me. So where's the deformity really at? God's trying to, to grow us and move us. Today I want to talk about the privilege of pressure. That's what I said. The privilege of pressure. I know everyone's like, no, you mean the privilege of promise. No, I mean the privilege of pressure. Um, we're learning that it, it, this is a perspective that God wants us to, to live with. And, and I've discovered that perception, uh, that, that people, um, perception dictates people's lives more than reality does. Perception dictates our lives more than reality. It's not what's really happening, but it's how I perceive what is happening. 
that really the whole reason why we're in this mess, why we have uh, 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 free Israelites, God's people wandering around in the wilderness, the whole reason we're even here is because just about a month into the journey, we got to the edge, saw the promised land, went in and spied it out. That happened early on. That wasn't 40 years later. That happened. That was one of the first things that they got up to the edge of the promise. And their perception was greater than reality. The perception was we are but grasshoppers in their eyes. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 14. We sent in 12 spies. Only two come back with a good report. Ten spies come back speaking ill and speaking negative of the very promise that God had called them to not just obtain, but maintain. And you'll never maintain any promise of God without proper identity of who you are in him. You just won't. Believers, we, we, we are not robbed because of what is coming against us. We are robbed because of what we believe within us. That's, that's where we're robbed, is, is in the perception of how we see the situation. And so the whole reason they're here is because we sent in 12 spies, two come back with good report, 10 come back with a bad report. We just see ourselves as grasshoppers. There are giants in the land. It, it's too great to overcome, even though they brought back grapes that you had to carry on a pole between two people. And, and they were able to exclaim, of the, of the goodness of the land but also of the greatness of the people in the land and how weak they were. See, you, you, can, you can see how great the promise of God is, and you can see all that God wants to open up for you, but if you don't believe you can obtain it and maintain it, and you don't believe it belongs to you, you'll never walk in it. Oh, yeah, it's a beautiful house, but I, I, I could never buy something like that. Oh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I believe our marriage could be that, but, you know, I just, I don't think it'll ever happen for us. Oh, yeah, I, that would be awesome if, if God could, could do that in our finances, but, you know, that just, that, that's just too great for me. I don't have enough education. And the perception trumps the reality. And so here... It, we're talking about perspective and we're talking about the privilege of pressure here in Hebrews chapter 10, starting with verse uh, 32, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. And let me just tell you, the, the writer of Hebrews, some believe it was Paul, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a people that are discouraged in delay. They are discouraged in delay. They assumed that the return of Christ would be quick and would be soon. And so when that didn't happen, when that didn't happen, Hebrews being one of the, the last books written in the New Testament, when that didn't happen and all the persecution was coming and all the oppression was coming and they're, they're waiting for the return of Jesus, to, waiting for the return of their Lord. It's not happening. So the writer of Hebrews is encouraging them to stay in the fight. To stand, to stand your ground. To hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to your faith. And so here in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured. 
a great struggle with sufferings. He said, after you were illuminated. It's amazing that the struggle usually shows up after you learn about who you really are. Right? Because we usually only fight the battle on the level of our recognition. You can only fight the battle on the level of your recognition. So if you don't recognize who you are in Christ, then when the, when the devil is constantly defeating you and bombarding you in that area, you don't know there's a fight there. You don't know that you believe that, that, that you know, I'm just some little peon here on the earth and just waiting for Jesus' return. But when you discover, man, I can stand up. I've got authority in the earth. I've got an idea. I am the child of the king. Now, all of a sudden, the oppression shows up. Not that it wasn't attacking before, but you only fight the battle on the level of your recognition. So now, since you were illuminated, remember, since you've been illuminated, since you have been enlightened, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. See, sometimes it's not even so much what you do, it's just being associated with. Now, we're talking about real persecutions. They're not dealing with credit card bills, uh, you know, and, and, you know, kids that throw temper tantrums. They're dealing with real persecutions like my head can be taken off at any time now. That's who this writer is speaking to. Their brothers and their sisters are dying on their left and on their right. Being persecuted for the gospel, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. If they hated you, or if they hated me, they will hate you. He promised it. But he says a word here. He says, endure. This word endure means to hold one's ground in conflict. In conflict. That means you're not enduring unless there's pressure. You're not really enduring unless there's conflict, unless there's something challenging you. It means to hold out under pressure or stress. Hold out under pressure or stress. And it's not talking about a passive, like, just waiting for the end to come. No, it's talking about an energetic, active pursuit of what you know you can accomplish or what you know you can be, but you have to stand your ground in the midst of that. That's endurance. That's what he's saying to these people here. Recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains. One reason why we believe Paul wrote this. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. He's saying there's an ultimate goal here that we're striving for. There's an ultimate goal that we're trying to accomplish, and you have to endure to get there. See, God isn't interested in people that just claim Christianity or even by association, but he is, he is looking for people that will actively pursue, stand fast in the faith, hold their ground, remain committed to their original confession, I'm a believer, and endure through that. It's one thing to get 
to the end by default. It's another to get to the end because you pursued that and you stood against any opposition. So that's a qualifier here. Those that endure. Verse 35, therefore, do not cast away what your confidence, which has great reward. You know, confidence is a key to endurance. When you lose your confidence, you lose your endurance. You, you lose the drive. I mean, I've, I, I love sports. I love watching, uh, you know, history of sports, especially baseball. And, and, and there are times um, where uh, teams were down and out. I'm talking major comebacks. And the one thing that got them to the end was they were confident that they could still do it. I mean, Chuck and I share the, the 86 Mets comeback against the Red Sox, and you go back and they interview a lot of those Red Sox hitters that they were down to their last strike, down by two runs. Last game, the Red Sox should have won that World Series in the Mets, and, 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 and their, their statement was, nobody wanted to be the last out. Everybody that came up said, I'm, we're not gonna be, I'm not going to be the last out. So they just kept getting a hit and kept getting a hit. And then somebody gets hit by a pitch, and then there's a wild pitch. And then before you know it, they've come back in, and they end up winning the World Series down to their last strike several times, not just once. But they knew, I'm not going to be the last out. It was their confidence, not necessarily skill and talent, but just the absolve, I'm not giving up. We believe we can do this. Even against all odds, even when everybody, uh, one of the funny things about that game was, you know, at the end of a World Series, they go into the locker room and, and they put up all this plastic everywhere because they, they do all this big, you know, champagne thing, spraying each other and all that stuff. So they had already gone into the Red Sox locker room. And when the Mets came back and won the game, they had to rip all that stuff out of there before the Red Sox players got in and saw it all in there. That would have been very disappointing. That would have been depressing. This is for us, and now they're taking it all away. The confidence that is what will get you. He's saying, don't cast off. Don't cast away your confidence. I mean, when you look in the word of God, there had to be a level of confidence. I mean, Gideon, 300 men going up against 120,000. You started out with a deficit. 32,000 men. That's a good number, but that is, that's only a quarter of what they've got. And then God says, nah, too many. What? Wait. And then 22,000 go home the first day. Now we got 10,000. Nah, still too many. I mean, talk about the confidence. Confidence will trump training, man. Confidence will override any level of skill. When you've got the confidence you can get through. And not the confidence in your ability. Not the confidence in what you can do. Y'all know the confidence in his ability. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, I'm talking about a, a Christianity. I mean, we, it, this is a hard message to preach in America. Because it rains a little bit and we shut down. It's tough to preach a message of endurance, but that's what the gospel is lined with, is endurance and confidence in his ability. We've got it too good because we can do a lot that seems like God and it's not. Just because it's good doesn't mean it's God. And God wants us in scenarios. The privilege of pressure is that it proves who he is. 
I mean, I, I'm not there at all, but I want to be there where I live my life, where I have to trust in him. Where I, we want great faith, but without the pressures that make great faith. Faith comes by hearing. But I'm telling you, it's not hearing the word that changes our lives. It's applying the word that changes our lives. How many people, even in Jesus' day, just sum up when Jesus ministered for three years, how many people heard the word, but 120 people show up on the day of Pentecost? The multitudes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the ones that ought to have recognized him the most. So we're talking about an endurance factor. We're talking about when, when, we, when we are going after the promises, there is no promise without pressure. There is no blessing without challenge. And especially when there's a delay. When we don't see it right away. When we don't get it our way. This is where faith is truly tested. He goes on. He says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Verse 36. For you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. After you have done the will of God. After you have done. After. You will receive what? The promise. That's exactly what we're talking about. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will, not, will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. By faith. The just. That's you and I. Live by faith. That, that statement literally means, means that we make our living by faith. It becomes our occupation. It becomes our way of life. Faith is a way of life for me. That means living in what I do not see. That means when I'm told to walk around the walls of Jericho, and this doesn't make any sense, I keep my mouth shut and I obey what the Lord says to do. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now, this goes right into Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. And we all know how, how this goes. Now, faith, that is a transitional word. I know we like to say now faith is faith is right now. I have faith now. But grammatically speaking, that is a transitional word saying Connecting it to what we just heard, to what we're about to hear. Now, since we don't draw back, since, we're, since we have confidence and it causes us to endure, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He, he's reiterating to them that there's a promise that you have not yet seen, not yet received, not yet taken hold of, and you have to endure to get there. And now it's by faith that we receive that promise. For by it, the elders obtained a good report, a good testimony. So if we're only getting a bad testimony, that's not faith. I, I need to obtain a good report. When I'm going in and spying out the, the promised land, I need to focus on and reflect on the good report, not the bad report. There's always two reports, right? There's always what you see, and then there's what you see. 
there's always the sight, what I actually see, and then there's what I believe I will see. And so now your, your sight gets tested. It's almost like going to the eye doctor. And what do you see? One or two? Which one's better? One, which one is more clear? The one that is more clear is the one that you obviously focus on. And whatever you focus on determines where you go. So now there's a sight test. God does not remove the evil and give you the good. He gives you the good in spite of the evil, in the midst of the evil, and determines, and it's up to you to determine what you look at. That's what this is saying. Because it wouldn't say faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, if it was already there. Because faith, I don't apply faith to what I have or what I see. I apply faith for what I do not yet see. Guys, I want us to understand that if, if struggles were eliminated and sufferings were eliminated and trials were eliminated, I'm not saying God brings them. I'm not saying that they are from him, but I am saying that he will use them. And that is what we grow through. And that is how our faith is strengthened. And if you if in the absence of struggle, there is no faith. Can I just tell you that? Faith is used to remove the struggle and to endure the struggle. There were some times in the Bible where faith was used to escape struggle. But then there were a lot of times that that faith was used to endure struggle. Whether I escape or whether I endure, my faith is still applied. This is what we've got to recognize. Sometimes we're praying away the very thing that is growing us and developing us. And sometimes God isn't saying, I'm going to come down and remove that. He's going to say, I want to see you go through that. Go through it with faith in me. There are, well, you get to the end of Hebrews 11. They lost their heads. They lost their wives. They lost their children. They lost their homes. They lost their parents. They lost everything for the sake of the gospel. An angel comes in and removes Peter from a prison cell, just opens the thing right up. And then you got Paul and Silas thrown in a prison cell. Why couldn't we why couldn't we avoid the whole beating and, and all that kind of stuff? But then it was their praising. Peter didn't do he was woken up by an angel and pulled out of that jail cell. He wasn't in there praying, oh God, send an angel, get me out. He went to sleep. But then Paul had to have active responsibility, active participation. We could be moaning and crying about our backs being split open and, and all this stuff happening. I mean, I would I I I, I healed that girl. And this is what happens. This is what happens for serving God. But instead they said, we're going to sing. We're going to rejoice. We're going to worship. And that's what threw the jail cells open. And that man ultimately lost his head for the sake of the gospel. It's the privilege of pressure. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And then he goes on and he tells all the stories. And then we get over to Hebrews chapter 12. We just keep on following this thing on through. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, again, another transitional word. Another connector 
So we've, we, so far we've tied 10, 11, and 12 all together. Now he's saying, therefore. And just so you know, he wrapped up there in chapter 11 with all the stuff that happened to people that believed and that endured. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? Those that endured. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance. There it is again, endurance, the race that is set before us. It's a consistent theme throughout this whole book. He's saying, look, here's what you, he didn't say lay aside pressures and struggles. He said lay aside sins and weights. Maybe the thing that's holding us back is not the thing that we think is holding us back. We're asking God to remove a struggle and he's saying, I'm asking you to remove this. (laughs) He's saying, that's not the thing stopping you. The sin and the weight is the thing stopping you. Now the sin, that's the same for everybody. Sin is sin. Disobedience to the word of God, that's sin. But weights can be different for everybody. What's a weight for me might not be a weight for you. What's a weight for you might not be a weight for me. So he's saying there are sins. Obviously, you got to let those aside. He's telling people that are discouraged in delay. A delay is not a denial. But these these people are discouraged. Why haven't we seen Christ come? Why haven't we seen return? We, we've been we've been standing fast, and now they're getting discouraged, and now they're 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 waning in confidence, and now they're not enduring, and and now they're starting to accept uh, uh, other ways of preaching and other ways of believing. And and he's saying, no, 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 you got to stand your ground, you got to stay with it. Look, there's an example, there's a cloud of witnesses that has gone on before you. Now lay aside not the pressures and the struggles, lay aside the sins and the weights an indicator that maybe the things that are holding us back are the things that we're holding on to the most. See, weights don't hold you down unless it's close to you. So there's something we're carrying as we're trying to possess the promise that God's saying, okay, I'm dealing with that. I got to get that out. You can't take that in there. You can't take that in there. It's like when you go to the movies and you walk in with your own candy. That's not happening. Go to Walgreens before and get it for 99 cents because you know you're going to pay $7 more at the counter. But you can't take that in there. There's some things that we cannot take where we're going. We've talked about this. That's what the wilderness. Look, the longer it takes you to let go of stuff, the longer you'll remain in the wilderness. That was all up to them. That wasn't up to God. God didn't ordain there's going to be 40 years of wandering around in this wilderness just so you can. That's not what he wanted. That was up to the people. That was up to the people. Because if you can't believe God when you're thirsty, you're not going to believe God when he commands for you to walk around a a stoned wall. It's not going to happen. So lay aside the sin and the weight, which so easily ensnares us. It's easy. So easy that it becomes familiar. Some of us have become familiar with sins and weights that are keeping us back. It it just happens all the time. We stumble over it all the time that we just think that that's common. That's just the way it's supposed to be. Now look what he says in verse 2. Looking unto. Looking. That's a a focus. That means to consider, consider 
attentively. To consider attentively. This is not just a wayward wandering happen to glance at. This is a an intent focus that I get to the promise, not by focusing on the pressure, but by focusing on Jesus. Now look what it says about Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what? Coasted to the cross. No, he endured the cross. As you know, Jesus had to endure. Jesus had to endure. Jesus had to endure. I couldn't find anywhere in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus said, I want to go to the cross. That's his desire. No, his desire was to see people set free. But this is the thing. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy was not the cross. It was the people. So when you focus on the joy or the reward or the promise, then you'll endure whatever is in your way. Despising the shame, it says. That means not giving attention to it or not giving weight to it. You, you don't, I don't care what shame comes. I don't care what oppression comes. I don't care what struggle comes. Despising the shame. And now he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The end result. But there's things that you go through and there's things that you endure through to get to the end result. So Jesus is our example. So I can look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and I can say, okay, he endured the cross to see us set free, to be seated at the right hand of the Father, to give us a position of authority and a position of identity and a position of of power here on the earth and to be redeemed or bought back from the sin and the separation that occurred in Genesis chapter 3. And now Jesus is enduring, pressing through, standing his ground in the midst of conflict to achieve that goal. To achieve that goal. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. This is what Jesus had to say. About endurance. It's the privilege of pressure. It's the privilege of pressure. If there wasn't any pressure. People would think you could do it on your own. I've never heard a testimony without a test. I've never heard one. I've never heard someone exclaim the glory and the power of God without exclaiming what was coming against them. Beginning with verse 8 in Matthew chapter 24. He said, all these are the beginning, not the end, the beginning Sorrows. He says things like nations will rise against nations, kingdom against kingdoms, families will 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 uh, destroy each other and all this separation, all of this will occur. And he says, and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. That's talking about in-house. Believers offended and betraying and turning against one another. 
then false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. That's all tribulation. That's all struggle. That's all pressure. That's all trials. And really, a lot of that is a response to the trial. The persecution arises and it turns to persecution within. That's not how you want to respond. But this is what he says in verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. We thought saving was being removed from it. But he says, no, no, no. Those that endure to the end, those that make it all the way through, they're the ones that will be saved. Enduring. And then this is what he goes on to say in verse 14, the best part. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. In spite of all the pressure. In spite of all the struggle, in spite of all the heartache, in spite of all the persecution, my gospel will still be preached to all the world. I'm not going to miss one person. I'm not going to miss a nation. I'm not going to miss a geographical territory. We're not going to miss anybody. The the gospel is still going to go forth. It's still going to cover the earth. Everybody's going to hear the the news of a loving king that's going to return and bring them back home. And then the end will come. What end are we looking for? I'm telling you today that God is not moved by all the struggle. God is not moved by the challenge. Pastor Marcus says this a lot. He he says, uh, your problem does not get God's attention. They just don't. Jesus said those things would happen. Jesus said that there will be trials and tribulations, that there'd be hard. But he said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. God is not moved by challenges and pressure. And guys, neither should we. If Jesus can despise the shame, endure through the cross for the joy that was set before him. You know, that's the thing is the pressure robs us of our joy. The challenges, not so much to defeat you, but to rob you. Make you deficient in an area where the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. No wonder we're not making it. We're not happy enough. And really, that's not even the right way to put it because joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't an emotion. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of Spirit-filled believers. Love, joy, peace, patience. I heard someone say one time, the fruit of the Spirit is always in season. It should always be produced. In good and in bad, love shows up. Joy shows up. Peace shows up. Faith shows up. Gentleness, self-control, they show up. It's not like this is the, this is the season of love and joy, but not of peace and patience. And, the, and this is the season of... It's always in season. It should always be coming out of us. The enemy cannot stop a believer... That remains full of the Spirit and is producing the fruit of the Spirit. Those nine fruits of the Spirit will cause you to endure. Patience. Long-suffering. Not short-suffering. Long-suffering. It means just how it sounds. 
long suffering. And what I love about it is out of, out of all nine, God exercises all of them. They're fruits of the Spirit. He exercises joy. And he exercises love. God is love. He exercises patience. The Bible says that he is long-suffering. So we should too. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you will be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaith.austin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.